Let God make you something great. Let God define who you are. Let God tell you this morning of your worth. Do not listen to mere men tell you you have no value. Don't listen to the political arena that says life is of no value in the womb. God says there's life and that it has value. And you have value this morning. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. This morning I want you to consider your role in life. Each of us has been given a role, some different than others, but the reality is, is we all have different roles in lives. Some have roles as husbands. Some have roles as wives. Children have roles. Workers have roles. Bosses have roles. Elders, pastors, deacons, and congregations. All of us are equally the same in the fact that each one of us has roles. When we know our role in life, many times, um, when we fulfill those roles, it can be very rewarding. It can be very encouraging. It can be a very beneficial thing and satisfying as well. It can result in honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. It can bring about great revival in our homes in our families, and even in our churches. Roles are vital. But where there is great opportunity to honor God, there is great opportunity to to dishonor God with our roles. There is just a grade of temptation to bring about dishonor to God with our failures in accomplishing and fulfilling the roles in which God has placed in our lives before us. David, the king, failed to fight in the battle in which he as a king should have fought. And instead, he ended up staying back and became in an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba because he did not fulfill his role. Saul, the king. He was instructed by Samuel to wait seven days to give the sacrifice in which he would come and do, and instead he grew impatient and he fulfilled a role in which he was not called to do, and he made the sacrifice. And we find in verse 14, the Lord saying, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He failed to know his role. You see, roles are vitally important in our lives. And today we're going to see a man by the name John the Baptist that failed not to understand his role. 
Today, as we look at this portion of Scripture, there are three things that I want us to take home with us that are very simplistic, but very obvious in the same sense. But one, two, and three things that I think will be absolutely beneficial for us to see. First, we see the investigation of John. Secondly, we see the affirmation of John. And thirdly, we see the confirmation of John. Before we get right into it today, I think it would be helpful to simply point out a few characters in which we find in our portion of Scripture. I don't want to take for granted that anybody here doesn't know these folks or what they did or who they were. And so you'll notice right off the bat, we are presented with three types of people. We are presented three kinds of people that are sent out to investigate two that are to investigate, one that did the sending. And so let's begin by looking at point number one. We see the investigation of John. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Right off, you have priest, you have Levites. And as we'll see in just a few verses, the, the ones that were sending were the Pharisees. The text begins by telling us of a testimony from the baptizer. Yes, John is presenting his story, but it's a testimony of a first-hand encounter that the Jews had sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Notice that it says that he was, or that it was the Jews that sent out the priests and Levites. Now we know that the Jew referred to in the Pharisees comes from verse 24. And so we're right off the bat, these three folks. Now, the Pharisees, first off, were a political religious party, a sect, so to speak, of the Jews. Pharisee literally means a, one who is set apart, one who is separated. And so the Pharisees were a particularly well-known group of people for their beliefs in the oral law of Moses and also the written law, as they had great respect for this traditional code and the traditional interpretations of the code. Because of this, it would be only natural that the, the Pharisees, that these teachers of the law, be bitterly opposed to Christ. And we often see throughout the scriptures as they attempted in various ways to catch Jesus in a twisted word in which they tried to trap Christ in his words. And ultimately, these were the ones that would seek to end Jesus Christ by death. These are the ones that sent out the two groups of people to meet John. They want to know who is this man baptizing these Jews. And so they sent out the priests and Levites. Now the priests and Levites, they have, they're different for a few reasons. First, it's clear that both priests and Levites had a professional religious duty to perform. These precise natures of these duties, well, they from time to time would change throughout the course of Israel's history. Priests were simply Levites that descended from Aaron, where the Levites were those that did not descend from Aaron. Both priests and Levites fully uh, engaged in the religious duties were equivalent to what we might call today clergy. 
And so these were professional men that were supported for their full-time religious work. Priests were men that were go-betweeners between God and mankind. And they were to officiate different religious ceremonies that they could do. And while the Levites assisted the priest in the temple religious activities. Now, the temple police, there was a force that you could call the temple police if you wanted to, I guess. They were comprised of Levites. And so it's very possible that these priests and Levites, the Levites were there on a, so to speak, security duty to protect the priest. The fact is, the point of the passage is that the religious leaders had caught wind of what was going on in the life of John the Baptist, and they wanted to know, what in the world is this man doing baptizing Jews? And so they sent out a group of men to question him, to investigate what was going on. He says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent out to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? This is important. And I'll tell you why it's important. Because the fact is, is they needed to answer these Pharisees who were trying to determine what in the world these guys are doing. And so, as we see this investigation take place, we see they come to investigate John. Now, as we look in this investigation, we'll notice some striking realities about this man, John, whom I suggest knows his role very well. He says, who are you? It's a great question. And one, if we're willing to consider it deeper than surface level, one that can penetrate our own hearts. John knows well who he is. He knows well enough to know that it's not so much who he is that he's concerned with. It's more important who he is not. So let me explain what I mean. In today's culture, everyone wants to be defined by who they are. Who are you? I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm somebody. Oh, oh I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm Billy Joel and I'm the owner of so-and-so. Who are you? I'm somebody, is really what many times we say. It's what we do many times to build ourselves up before man. But yet we know and we see here this man, John, knows his role. We like to validate ourselves, don't we? It's good to know we're important. It's good to know that we're somebody. Because many of us, if we're going to be honest, we walk around with insecure lives because we have forgotten our role. When in reality, we should simply know our role. John is a bright man. And I think we will see him respond in a way that maybe you and I should consider responding when we are tempted to make a name for ourselves. So John says he knows his role. Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard to become something important in life. But we must be careful not to equate our value 
our worth, uh, our esteem based upon appearances of who we are. And John, of all men, this man, John the Baptist, if anybody had a right to say, look at me, I'm somebody special, was John. If anybody had the right in the world to tell you who it was, it was him, because Jesus says, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist that's been born among women. There's been a great amount of men that have walked this earth, all of who have been born of a woman, and yet Christ says he is the greatest. And so if anybody has the ability to exalt himself, it's John. It's John. Listen, God is not impressed with what we have. God is not impressed with what we accomplish. He's not impressed with how many members we have in our church. He is not impressed on how big of a budget we have, or how many staff members we have, or how many programs we have as a church. He's not even so much impressed with the amount of money we have in our bank account in our personal life, and even as a church. If we will just be honest with ourselves, God is the one that does all that anyway. So why would he be impressed with us? If it's God that's given us all that we have, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hill, then why should anybody be impressed with how much I have in my bank account? If God is the one who grows the church, right? I mean, the last I read, he says that it's his church and that he will grow his church. And so if anybody's impressed with me, we're mistaken because I'm not the one who grows the church. God says he will grow the church and the gates of hell will not destroy it. God's not impressed with our finite abilities, Because he is the one that uses us, the vessel, to accomplish his purposes and his goals. And this morning, if you come and you have a great bank account, that's great. Praise God. It's all his. If you are a CEO of a company, God has placed you there as a leader. Not because of you, but probably in spite of you. And as a pastor... I'm just going to confess before you, I am nothing special. Because if anything happens good in me and through me, I can promise you it's of God, it's not of Stuart. God deserves all of the credit. And John gets it. John is being investigated because something special is happening. Listen, God is not a respecter of persons, it says in Acts 10.34. God shows no personal favoritism to man in Galatians 2, 6. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 says that God shows no partiality nor takes bribes. And God, without partiality, judges according to each one's work in 1 Peter 1, 17. 
And I submit to you this morning, oh, how vital it is for you and I to know our role in life. John is a wise man, and he desires not to impress those that have come to investigate. And it's important that we work for God and not for mankind. We try to do our best for the glory of God, not to get a pat on the back and say, well done, Stuart. Well done, congregation. Everything we do, we prayerfully do it to the glory of God. You know, the most uncomfortable thing every Sunday is when I stand at the door and somebody comes out and says, great sermon. I really appreciate it. Praise God for that. I'm glad. But I hope that I never take credit for what comes out of here because I am nothing. I'm nothing but a man who is tempted to fail every day. And if I do anything but yet rely on God and the Holy Spirit, I will fail you time and time again. It is all God's glory. Every ounce of it. I love the humility of this man, John. When he is asked, who are you? The leaders are are confused as to who this man is. What's his purpose? And so John simply humbly says, it doesn't matter who I am, but I will tell you who I'm not. John isn't fooled. He knows why these men are here. And after he responds in verse 20, he says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. The the, the emphatic pronoun, ego, I me, I am not the Christ preassumes that this was at their forefront of their thought. He is not Christ. He wants not the credit for what's happening. And so that eliminates the main thought that they've come to investigate. Is this Messiah? I mean, they've only been waiting for what, 400 years? <laughs> for the Messiah to come about? For all of this time of silence and the waiting on the return of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so this eliminates the fact that it's not Jesus that's here. And so easy for us to try to take credit for what God has done and the work that He's doing. God builds, God leads, God directs, and we should never get caught up in the temptation of claiming for ourselves only of what God can do. And John is very clear about that. I am not the Christ, but he, that answer is not good enough for them. They're steady in the high level of investigation. Who are you? Then it says in verse 21, they asked, What then? If you're not the Christ, are you Elijah? I love the fact that he, he goes into no detail. He just simply says, I'm not. I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, these are the priests and the Levites that have been sent by the Pharisees. He just says, I'm not. Not me. Not me. He knows his role, guys. He knows his role. When that doesn't fill their expectations, they ask, well, if you're not the Christ and you're not uh, Elijah... Are you the prophet? The prophet? He he answers a big one again. No. 
No, 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 no. I'm none of the above. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. And I'm not the prophet. Now, all of what for me and you can be confusing, right? This confuses me a little bit. At first, I'm thinking, okay, I'm confused. Why am I confused? Well, I'm confused because he says he isn't Elijah. We know he's not the Messiah. But there's some confusion here. But what about Elijah? I mean, based upon the prophecy in Malachi 3, 1 and 4, 5, the Jews had great expectation that Elijah would return himself and establish an earthly kingdom. But John says, no, that's not my role. John is full of humility. He thinks not more highly of himself than he ought to. But Jesus seems to think differently. And this is where the confusion comes in. Look at Matthew eleven twelve to 15. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And now check this out. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. If you've got your red letter Bible, that's Jesus speaking. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He was Elijah or he was not Elijah. John says, no, he's not Elijah. Jesus yet says, yes, if you were willing to accept, John himself is Elijah. It can be a bit confusing. Well, listen, he wasn't Elijah. He, he wasn't Elijah in the literal sense of 2 Kings 2.11 Elijah that went up by the world, went into heaven. But John, listen, John, like Elijah, preached the truth in spirit and in the power of Elijah. But they didn't accept it. I'm not even sure John knew. And that's why he said no. I love what Leon Morris said. He says this, No man is what he is in his own eyes. He really is only as he is known to God. Let me say that again. No man is what he is in his own eyes. He really is only as he is known to God. You see, it was at a later time that Jesus equated John with Elijah of Malachi's prophecy. But that does not carry with it the implication that John himself was aware of that position. Rather, what we see Listen, this is great. It's great to me, powerful to me as I sit in my office. Listen, it's Jesus that confers on John what his true significance is. It wasn't John that thought of himself highly and is significant. Rather, it was what Christ had thought of John that made him significant. Jesus determines for John what his true significance is. 
And I can tell you, somebody needs to be reminded of that this morning. That Jesus determines your true significance. It's Christ. And there needs to stop a chasing after our significance to the world. And understand that you are somebody. Not because of what you do or what you have, or what you've accomplished because of what He did for you, in you, and through you for His glory. Because Christ determines that you are somebody and we have to know our role in this life. John knows his role and he was more than what he thought of himself. He wasn't the Christ. He wasn't Elijah. He wasn't even the prophet from Deuteronomy 18.15. I'm not any of these. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but think so to have sound judgment, knowing that God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Let God make you something great. Let God define who you are. Let God tell you this morning of your worth. Do not listen to mere men tell you you have no value. Don't listen to the political arena that says life is of no value in the womb. God says there's life and that it has value. And you have value this morning because he has paid for you with his son, Jesus Christ. Because you, listen, are defined by him. Not by your past, but by him. The investigation continues. They're still not satisfied. When he's answered all of this, then they said to him, who are you? so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Come on, John. I mean, come on, man. Give me something. I can't just go back to Jerusalem to the Jews and tell them, well, I don't know who he is. So he gives them something. He says, okay, I'll tell you who I am. He says this in verse 23. He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Listen, John says, I am but a voice. Jesus, listen, is the word, but I'm simply a voice telling about the word. And John says, I came to witness, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He's simply a voice. Let me ask you an investigative question this morning. Are you okay with simply being a voice? Are you okay with not being at the top and simply being a voice? Because there's no greater position than being one of a voice that cries out, makes straight the way of the Lord. 
Are you okay without being the Christ? Without being Elijah? Without being the prophet? Without making a name from yourself? Without trying to build our own little kingdom? Because we ought to be okay with simply being a voice. Because the message you and I have to give to the world is much greater than the one giving it. The message is much greater than the messenger. John knows his role. He's a humble man. Today we need to heed the same words in our lives and we need to get our lives straight because the reality is, is in verse 6 it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Do you truly believe that today? Do you claim to be of Christ and yet continually walk in the darkness? I was on the phone with somebody. He called me and said, man, I'm struggling to know that I'm truly a believer. Why are you struggling to truly know you're a believer? Because I continually walk in sin. I don't know if he's saved. He claims to know Christ. Is there true repentance in his heart? He knows he's doing wrong. Listen, make straight the way of the Lord. Because if we say we have no sin, listen, we're simply deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible simply says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The old S word. Nobody likes the S word. You know why? Because the wages of sin is death. And we're all sinners. Even the man standing up behind you talking to you right now. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, John was but a voice proclaiming the way of the Lord. And today, you too, you can be a voice of God, proclaiming the way of the Lord by fulfilling your role like John did. He didn't get all caught up in his pride of who he was, but rather he humbled himself and simply became a voice. We see the investigation of John, but secondly, we see the affirmation of John. They're still not happy with what's going on. They're still not happy with the the answer. They have more questions. They brought these questions. And we begin now to see John affirm who he isn't and who Christ is. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? Seems like a legitimate question, right? You're not the Christ. You're, You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. And if you're not the Christ, nor the Elijah, nor the prophet, then why are you baptizing? By what authority do you have to baptize Jews if you're none of these? Here we see a humble man. Again, John, not trying to draw attention to himself, but rather turns and points the conversation right back to Christ. You know, I find interestingly enough that John doesn't get all upset about their question. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Come on, what, 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 what authority do you have to do what you're doing? I mean, think about that. Try to understand where he's coming from. 
He's out doing what God has instructed him to do, right? By the authority of God, he's doing what he's doing. And these men come to him and say, Why are you baptizing then if you're not the Christ, Elijah the prophet? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't argue. I mean, when when you and I are asked questions about what we are doing and why we're doing what we're doing, sometimes we come offended. How dare you question my integrity? Right? That's the easy way to turn, but John doesn't do that. He doesn't argue with these folks that that come up all in his ministry area. Rather, he humbles himself as ministry and affirms Christ and exalts Christ. That's all we can do. Notice the answer. John says to them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. These people have the Messiah among them. And yet they don't know. They miss it. He came to his own and his own did not comprehend it. They didn't take hold of it. They missed it. The one whom they've waited for for 400 years is among them and they don't even know it. You see, John gets it though. He knows that he is simply pointing people to the greater that has come. And he even clears it up when he says in verse 27, it is he who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He says, I'm nothing but a servant, a lowly, lowly servant. He is king. He is everything. You see, this, is, this was a task of the lowliest servant to take the sandals off. And John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That shows you how great Christ is. And how little John is in relation. And so he continues. John tells us where all of this took place as he affirms that Christ is supreme. It says in verse 28, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. I think John here is simply making it clear which Bethany these were things were taking place at. So there's no confusion where John began to decrease and Christ began to increase. You see, my ministry, he says, is insignificant. But the work of Christ, that's what's important. John affirms the significance of Christ. And we too should be reminded of that truth when he says in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that caused the growth. You know, I had the opportunity to baptize these four kids. Right? But I had nothing to do with their salvation. Nothing. Nothing. Some water, some plant. But it's God who does the growing. You plant four trees, I can promise you, they ain't going to grow identical. One of them aggravating things is going to grow real slow. And the rest is going to be big and beautiful. Another is going to be scraggly and it makes no sense. Why? Who knows? That's just the way it works. And that's the way life is. Because we water and we plant, but God is who does the growing. 
John was simply affirming that Christ was the important one, the one that did the work. He didn't forget his role. He was but a voice, and we too should be reminded that we are but a voice. Are you a voice this morning for Christ? When is the last time we've shared the hope of Jesus with someone? When is the last time we've given a testimony of the good things that God has done in our lives? Because I can promise you, we've all encountered opportunities. We've just missed them, haven't we? We've just missed them. And I want you to know that our church is only as significant as our evangelism is. God didn't call us to go get members from other churches, right? He says, go and make disciples, make converts. And that takes us being a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So we see the investigation of John and his humility. We see the affirmation of John pointing to the fact that he is nothing and Christ is supreme. And thirdly, we see the confirmation of John. John confirms this is the Savior. He says in verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, the Jewish people would have gotten this. They would have understood this imagery very clear. He didn't say, behold, Rabbi. He didn't say, behold, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the the Son of Man. He didn't say, behold, the one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. No. He said all these things later in the book of John. But here, the first encounter that we see, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. It wasn't what they were looking forward to. For all of those years, they had a false expectation. They were looking for a conquering king coming in on a white horse that would give them kingdom rule. And yet, the text tells us that God sent a lamb, the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world the one that would be sacrificed for you and for me. Oh, the Old Testament pointed to the fact that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. They would have gotten this very clearly. Oh, Abraham, remember him? God spoke mightily to him and said, you take your son, go and sacrifice him on the mountain in which I will show you. And he faithfully arises and he goes and God reveals this is the place. And him and his son, they're walking up that hill. And the son is carrying his own wood for his sacrifice. And he looks to his dad and he says, dad, we got everything we need, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, God shall provide. Listen, I want you to understand this morning. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, your role is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is our job as unbelievers and even as believers. God will provide. Behold the Lamb of God. 
In verse 30, he says, This is he on whom, behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man that has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John confirms the eternal God in flesh. God left the domains of heaven and became a man that we might have life and life abundantly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, the fle- and He became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. And we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John knows his role, and he knows the role of God. And while it seems like, oh, he maybe didn't recognize him in full because the text says in verse 31, I didn't recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing with water. I didn't know what he looked like. I'm simply being obedient. I'm just fulfilling my role, guys. I know you're here and you want to know some questions, but but really, I'm I'm nobody. I'm I'm just following what God has told me to do, baptizing people. And God is going to use that for the greater glory so that, that He, Christ, might be manifested to Israel. God has me baptizing so that the Father may reveal the Son through this. Not so that Christ would know who he was. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, is that when Jesus was baptized, he became divine. God, Christ knew he was, he's eternally existing. He's omniscient. He knows all things. There's never not a time in which Christ didn't know who he was. But rather God appointed John to baptize so that Jesus could be totally revealed as Messiah. And so John confirmed. He confirmed the Messiah as God's prearranged sign that this was He of whom they've waited for all of these years. John in verse 32 says, I testify saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remaining upon him. That's what I saw. And, and, and while, verse 33, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit des- des- descending and remaining upon, this is the one whom baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He knew his role. It was to confirm Christ. This is the Messiah. The one for us. The one that came to take the sins away from the world. As your sins been taken away by the Lamb of God this morning. Because I want you to understand. There was no greater sacrifice ever to have taken place than the Father sending His Son. For you and for me. That we might have life. It was through the divine revelation that God, that John knew who Christ was. 
And it was enough for him to confirm Christ. And he wraps up this section by saying, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And I confirm it, he says. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you know the Son of God? Because he who has the Son has been set free. And he who has the Son is free indeed. And your role is to believe the gospel. That God sent his only Son to die in your place, to live a perfect life because you and I can't live, because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. But he sends Jesus, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice to give his blood on your behalf and my behalf that we might live eternally with the Father. Believe, repent, and be baptized. For the Son of God has come. And listen, he will come again and receive us to ourselves that where we are, there we may be also. That where he is, there we may be also. And to those that have believed, there will be none that are disappointed. And that is the reality. For you that have never surrendered your life to Christ, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another day. Don't put it off another day because the reality is, is you don't have guarantee of tomorrow. And we looked at that passage a few weeks ago. Don't boast about tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. John came, knowing his role. We saw it in the investigation. We saw it at the affirmation. And we saw it in his confirmation. Your role is to believe the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And if you already have trusted in Christ, then your role is to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And let me tell you, there's no greater place than to start than right here in Yemassee because it is a vast wilderness. A vast lost amount of souls. Like John, let us be a voice proclaiming to the world what good things God has done. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.